Welcome to Getting Yoked. Getting Yoked. Real talk with a slant. The world is a mess. And way too serious. But we're here to make it fun again. I'm Scott. And I'm Kai. We're just two Asian dudes from Southern California. And And we've we've got got something something to say. Hey, welcome to another episode of Getting Yoked. Getting Yoked. And we have another special, special guest here today. We have Ed Espinoza. He is in the house. Woo! Now, Ed is a CNN political analyst, and he is, yes, he is paid to take a look at the politics of today and give his point of view. Is that right, Ed? Uh, I am, but I'm not paid by CNN. Okay, so you're not paid by CNN, but you you work with CNN. I do. Mm -hmm. Okay, so a good thing about Ed here, Espinoza, is that he's actually good friends with Kai, and they grew up together back from the skateboarding days of youth. If you guys remember from episode six, the cigar and whiskey episode, grew up with Scott De La Pena skateboarding. DLP. Uh, Ed was also one of the skateboarders. Yeah. So I've known him since we were 12 years old. So for all you skateboarding fans out there, Ed was the Rodney Mullen of our crew. Oh, <laughs> He was wow. the freestyler, the yeah. guy that could do nollies, double kick flips, heel flips. We were the ramp guys. Okay, okay yeah. so Ed, I got to know, what was your favorite board truck's Wheels to ride. So I was always an independent trucks guy. Okay. I always liked OJ2s. Okay. Back when OJs meant wheels. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and, and boards. Uh, the Mullen was good. I finished on it. My last board I had was a Don Brown. Wow. But the Mullins were always the best. Yeah. 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 Oh. Um, when we talked about mad respect, because we had the ramp and Josoy and Cab came that one time, but Ed was a legitimate, legitimate freestyler. Like he would bo- do. Uh, Ollie Impossibles, and I don't know what you did when you put the board on the side and you flipped the tail out, and it was like a whatever 360 flip. Yeah, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know what that was called. Um, I can't remember what that was called, but I remember I was I, I finally, one of the last things I got done, one of the last hard tricks I did was a saran wrap, and I think I worked on it like for a summer. Like what, was Ollie what was saran a saran wrap? wrap? Ollie was saran wrap. It's basically <clears throat> an Ollie, you kick to a judo and you wrap your leg around. Yeah. And you come back around oh, wow. the other side. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah it was a big like deal. I finally landed it once and it was like, thank you, good night. Yeah. And then that's it. <laughs> yeah. Done. Did anyone get that? Did you see it? Right. Did you yeah. see it? Okay, good. Well, you know, that's actually, that's actually a really interesting story because being 13, 14 years old, what we lived for was showing off to the girls. Yep. Right. Because the yep. girls would come around. We would do that on the ramp. We would do that. And uh, <laughs> I remember a specific time that we were skating. We're skating in front of the ramp and these girls come. And so Ed <laughs> thought that it was a great time for him to show off. And he started doing, remember ho-ho hand plants where you threw the board up on your feet and you walked around in a handstand? Yeah, sure. The yeah, inverse. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Ed did that, flipped over, broke his leg. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. In front of the girls. Yep. Wow. Did you at least get the sympathy vote from the girls? Did they come running to you? Actually, I did. Actually, you did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. Came, yeah. My first real girlfriend came from that crew of four. There you go. And in fact, I think Kai's first real girlfriend was also in that crew. It was oh. the same group So there. I was helping everybody. There you go. He took yeah. he took one for the team. I did. We actually had one for the team, right? Yeah. <laughs> so we actually had a really interesting friendship because we went to junior high together. And to be honest with you, I really didn't like Ed the first time I met him. I didn't like him either. Yeah, no, he just, I don't know, he wasn't he wasn't cool enough. He was a little uh, annoying. You, it was whatever. I just didn't like Asians. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. I get it. But <laughs> how we became friends was really interesting because I liked this girl at school, and her best friend was Ed's girlfriend. Oh. So now it was my two advantage to be his friend. Right. Right. <laughs> right. So we you buddied up. You guys buddied we, up. We buddied each up. Yeah. He became my wingman. He hooked it up. So our girlfriends were best friends. Yeah. 
right? So the funny thing is, how we old had was it? How old were you guys? 13, 14, 14, I think. 14 maybe. Okay, gotcha. About, about Malia's age, right? So you guys went to, you guys went on dates with your girlfriends on hey, your BMX we had bikes our first, and your little bikes. We right? had our first double date. We yeah. went to the Man Theater in Westwood and we wow. saw Mannequin. Wow. Well, that is dating at Mannequin. Oh what is, what God. Is, that was the Man Westwood Theater? Matt, maybe Man Bruin. What was her name again? Man the Bruin actress, Westwood? the actress Kim, 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 Kim Cattrall, and she was hot from she Sex and the hot. City. She was hot from Sex and the City. Yeah. She was so hot back then. Samantha. So yeah, mm-hmm. she was. I mean, hot. I'm told. Right, 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 right. <laughs> oh no, she was hot. <laughs> Starship, uh, Jefferson, Tr- Starship, Starship, whatever that they song, did song is. They did that. Nothing's gonna Man, stop us no, now. Yeah, right, 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 right. Not that I would know. That's been my favorite song. Actually, it's a. Shit is the 30 year anniversary of that song, 1987. Oh, yeah. Jesus, right? has it been that long? <laughs> it was 1987. Holy crap. So, okay, so you guys did your first double date yeah. thing. That's nope. when you guys. We did, we did the double date to that movie, but oh, but it gets better. Yeah. So then we had a third friend. His name was Chris. Yeah. We were all skaters <laughs> together. Chris, now, Chris, Chris, Chris. No, no. His name was Chris Weaver. Oh, okay. And he was a... That's actually a pretty good name for a skateboarder, by the way. He was a good skateboarder, too. But he was a sly little sneaky guy. Yeah. And he ended up... Okay, get this. It's my 14th birthday. Okay. And my girlfriend... I'm all happy. Yeah. And I look at my girlfriend. I'm like, hey. And she looks at me. She says... You know, I'm thinking we shouldn't see each other anymore. Wow, on your birthday. On my birthday. Was it your birthday? The it birthday. Was on my birthday. And I said, why? And she said, well, I kind of like Chris now. Oh, that's yeah. about the tact of a 14 year old. About, that's yeah. about the tact. It was about yeah. tact of 14 year old. 14 year old. And he hid from me from school for about two weeks. Yeah. And he should have. Everywhere I went, right. everybody, did he, did, everybody told me they're like, so he Chris was in on it. Him. So it was funny because I had now been betrayed by this guy and he stole my girlfriend. Wow. And Bros don't you know, do that. so I'm still friends with Bros don't do right. That. I'm still friends with Ed, and Ed was like, "Oh, well, you know, it it happens, bro. It happens." <laughs> oh, <laughs> two, two months later, yeah. Beth goes. Beth's Ed's girlfriend yeah. goes up to him and says, "You know, I'm thinking we shouldn't see each other anymore because." I think I like Chris. Chris broke up with my girlfriend and now oh, stole Ed's girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> so Chris so he, Weaver was Chris the backstabber. Was like, Chris was like Spain conquering the New World oh, and planting flags all over the place. Oh, yeah. my he stole God. both of our girlfriends and now, now we're tight. Yeah. And now we're <laughs> best of friends. I'm surprised you guys didn't beat him up. Well, you know what happened was uh, it made us better friends. And then over the summer, we yeah. had a third friend. We weren't real tight with him, but like we were friends with him. Yeah. And uh, this was Craig. I saw Craig. Right? He did the same thing. And he did the same thing. Yeah. Craig actually got the hits hits on him for us. So that's what started our friendship. Yep. And uh, to different high schools, and we kept up. Mm-hmm. We still would go surfing together. Now, how did you? When we went to high school, mm-hmm. you were totally into like marine biology. Mm-hmm. We swore you were going to be marine biologists, but you somehow got into politics. Yeah. How did that happen? Because I don't remember. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, it was so long ago. So. My my looking back, I don't I didn't recognize this at the time, but looking back, the first time I really got involved in anything political yeah. was an organization in Santa Monica called Heal the Bay. Oh, Heal the Bay. Okay. Right, right. They've been around for a while. That's right. right. And I think Heal the Bay was probably just getting going. So you had like kind of a surfer marine cause. Well, do, do, you, do you remember when we would go surfing after it rained, like people would get sick? Yeah, like I because think of Michael the, Gamora got sick. The drains would come out. Because the storm drains would right. dump into the water. And so our first real activism were beach cleanups and... Uh, advocacy on fixing the runoff from the streets into the storm drains right. and treating the water and asking people to employ different practices on their boats in the marina so that they wouldn't dump stuff in there. 
Um, I didn't think of it as political at the time. I just thought it was clean water. So right, you had, loved your ocean. Yeah, well, right. we wanted to be able to surf without getting sick, and we loved the ocean, all that kind of stuff. So I was uh, really involved in marine biology because I went to Santa Monica High School, right. and they offered marine biology uh, as early as 10th grade. So oh, that's I, I took awesome. It, I took it right. most years. And then I, uh, when I went to Santa Monica College, I started taking marine biology as well. But when I started getting more like the physics and the chemistry and the uh, higher level classes, I was like, mm, I don't know if this is really for me. Right. And right around the same time, um, the, uh, a presidential election was happening. And so I started getting involved. And by the way, interested. can I just interrupt this yeah. real quick? You know how I know that Ed was really turned off by science? I've got a story. Yeah. We were in science class one day. This was ninth grade. Yeah. Oh, God. And we're, we're rowdy. I mean, because this science teacher had no control over the class. All of a sudden, this mom shows up in class <laughs> and starts just telling all the kids to shut up. And you need to be like, you need to start listening to your teacher. And I, I can't believe that you do this. And we're just sitting there going. Looking at this mom who, like, who, who are you? Who, whose mom is this? And, right. he, and, and she's like, I can't believe any of you would act like this. And that includes my son. Ed, can you please stand up? We're like, oh, Holy Ed shit. was like, oh, God. Ed's mom showed up at school yeah. to <laughs> discipline us. It <laughs> still, still hurts. That's yeah. awesome. Dude, that's so that awesome. Was, uh, that was terrible. Was your head like in between your arms oh on the my desk? God. Were you just like, it, oh, my God. My head's God. in between my arms oh my right now. Yeah. thinking about it. It was awful. I, I think yeah. that was the end of Ed's science career. <laughs> <laughs> it was over before it started. That was eighth grade. Yeah, yeah. I didn't recognize it until about the third year of college. I was like, oh, how <laughs> embarrassing was that? Jeez. So anyway, I was I was uh, a presidential campaign. This was in 1992, so this is right. 25 years ago now. Okay, right. I started getting involved in the presidential stuff. And I, Jesus, right. 25 years ago. Yeah, and what I really liked about it was politics was one of those things that brought in history, it brought in art, it brought in business, it brought in society. It brought in a little bit of everything. Yeah. And you know, I was pretty good about talking to people and meeting people and knowing people in different groups. And so I thought, well, this is something that I think is really a, a chance to change the world and work with people from different walks of life and also work in different industries all in one place. So I changed my major to political science. I transferred to UCLA. Suddenly uh, school wasn't work anymore. Right. I, I enjoyed it a lot more. From there, I went into political campaigns, and I started working at PR firms between election seasons. It was like any good political operative, I needed to have a backup career, and that, right. for me, that was political. Uh, that was um, public relations. And the more oh. I got it, Kai just spilled his beer. Buzz! And we're back. <laughs> I spilled a beer. It was awesome. And mm. as the sun started creeping toward the MacBook, I had to stop. <laughs> and we took the opportunity to refill we our refilled glasses. We refilled glasses right. and beers and everything else. So that was a good thing. Yeah. But let's talk about affiliation real quick. Um, how did you eventually identify with the Democratic Party? Yeah, well, it's actually it's a good question. Um, I did not start off as a Democrat. Uh, I consider myself a recovering Republican. <laughs> was, no, like, Char I, like Charles Barkley said, he said, I used to be a Republican until they lost their minds. Until they lost their minds. That's right. Um, no, I was a Republican for a while because my uh, a lot of people on my mom's side of the family were. My dad's side, they're from South America. They weren't really political. Um, and uh, Well, hold on there. Yeah. Okay, so Ed, was one of the reasons, I mean, besides the fact that your family was Republicans, mm -hmm. I think one of the reasons, and, and I'm a Democrat, I've been a Democrat my whole life, yeah. but is one of the reasons why the Republican side so alluring is because their main theme is keep government out of my life. 
at the time, though, I think it was just because, I mean, at this particular point in time, this was 1992. I'd that grown was up, a different Republican Party. It was, that was it a was, different Republican yeah, Party. We were talking about today. Reagan. A much different yes. Republican. Yeah. And frankly... There are times when I go and I have to pay taxes that I start to want to be a Republican. But no, yeah, yeah, and, um, and then I'll tell you, there is one day out of the year where I look at the, I look at my tax bill and I think to myself, Jesus, yeah, right, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I also like not getting cholera, yeah, and, yeah, uh, exactly. You know, other public safety things that help, but that, that that's a other philosophical conversation. But going back to 1992, why I started off as a Republican, why I didn't stay there. Look. All my life growing up, Republicans had been president. They had been governor. It's sure. I knew. No, good point. Good my, point. My, uh, on my mom's side of the family, there were some Republicans. My dad's side of the family, like I said, they weren't really political. So the, the first thing that really turned me off was the hyper injection of, of religion into politics. Yeah. And it was really Pat Buchanan in the 1992 presidential primary. And, you know, I was really had identified as a Christian, and uh, he was really like, talking about like Christian values into government and such. And I thought, you know, this is not really me. I'm going to step back for a minute. So let's talk about that for a second, because uh-huh. being a Republican, I, I still identify as a Republican, but uh-huh. that was a very, was that a very strategic thing for the Republicans to get voters more so than ideology? No, I, I, I think, especially in 1992, I, I, there really was something that, that was called the culture wars. And for them, it was trying to bring the party to be a more religious party which, that which was kind of fit into their conservative type lifestyle right right and, and i think there's still some of that now although i think it's spread across different avenues in the party um i think well, i mean you, i mean to me i mean i'm not a political analyst but the yeah. party looks like it's it's in so many different heads i mean yep. it's gone so many different ways politics I mean, in general today looks much different than it did oh, when it's I started. crazy you just yeah. go to facebook and there's like Lesbian Republicans for LGBT rights, right, 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 right. you know, and, and just all there's all there's all different kinds of the Republican Party to me looks split. Well, look, we 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 live in a two party system, but right. people are across the spectrum. Even those who are in each party are across the spectrum in more places than just one party or the other. Right. So you've got the Bernie wing, you've got the Clinton wing in the party, you've got in the Republican party, you've got the Trump wing, and then you've got like 16 other wings. And it gets confusing because they'll say things like Trump is actually more liberal than Hillary was, even though he ran under the Republican ticket. They'll say things like that. Uh, I haven't seen that. Uh, I don't know that well, I Well, because a lot of people say that, uh, and I'm not the political expert, but a lot of people yeah. say that Hillary is really more Republican in a lot of nature than, you know, some of the other Democrats. Um, I mean, she, I think she is from a different era than what a lot of people, than the politics she represents are from a different era than the politics that we have now. Okay. And look, the, the, the big things in the last election the two big things, you could say this of the Bernie crowd, you could say this of the Trump crowd. If there's anything they have in common, they liked boldness and they liked authenticity. And that is something that is consistent across the political spectrum. They don't want to see t- things that are too polished. People don't want to see things that are too moderated down the middle. The middle doesn't look the way it used to. It used anymore. to, right. They want to see extremes. They want to see one it's side not even or the that other. It's extremes. So think about this. When, when we were growing up, we got news from three stations. We got it from Peter Jennings, yeah. Tom Brokaw, and Dan Rather. And Dan Rather. And our parents got it really from one place. They got it from Walter Cronkite. We yeah. were a polished generation growing up. And then now this is the YouTube generation, the I can just throw a video and be a the star young Turks. and well, right. stay authentic. Well, yeah. and, so and you can get news from a hundred different places 100. now. If you want sports right. news, yeah. you get it from a sports channel. If you want gardening news, 
There's a gardening channel. Yeah. There's two gardening channels. Yeah. yeah. There's, there, it's just there's so much competition out there, but it's not just competition. It's specificity. Right. If you're really interested in something, there is something out there that caters to you. Sure. And so it makes it a lot harder to coalesce everything into just one, one party or another party. However, this is still designed to be a two-party system. So people have to find a way to fit into those two buckets right. for it all to make sense. Um, and it's a two-party system because of funding and exposure. In other words, nobody's going to the Libertarian Party or independent because of money. The, uh, it, right? Yes. Because Trump could have ran as an independent. He could have, but it's, it's less about money. It's more about structure. The okay. money is a very... So you don't think it was about the war chest? You don't, you no, don't think- it was, politics is always about who can afford... Everybody's got big ideas, right. but who can fund those ideas? Right. But even with somebody like Ross Perot who had a lot of money, and you see independents around the country that actually have won seats, I can give you 12 examples, If we had, but we could do a whole other podcast on that. Right. All right? But the thing is, structurally, it is designed to be a two-party system. If you have three candidates in the race, the one with the most votes is going to win, whereas in... A European system, if you have three candidates in the race, uh, sorry, you could have three parties in the race, and then the seats for that district will be allocated proportionally. Here you've oh, got okay. a single-member district. Right. If you have three people and one person gets 40%, they'll win. In California, anyway. In some other states, they got to have a runoff and such. But it, it's it's built so that uh, it discourages uh, third-party success. Now, I don't know if that's going to continue to hold, but historically, that is the way it has been in this country because that's the way it was designed in this country. And when a third party really starts to pick up steam, their ideas will either get picked up by one of the two major parties or they will become one of the two major now, parties. Now, Ed, from your professional point of view, do you yeah. think with the way the politics has changed so much and mm-hmm. the parties have changed, do you think that we may be on the precipice of having a third party system? Hard to say because we're still going to have the same structure. Right. Um, I think what might be more accurate is that the parties are less influential in their in in the system than they were. So, in other words, a somebody like Trump, who yeah. was not the party favorite, won the nomination. Sure. And you he can, worked within the structure, but he was clearly not popular with a lot of Republicans. Right. He worked within the structure because he had to. Right. Right. Working outside the structure would be very difficult. He knew when he decided to run. Mm-hmm. that Clinton was going to be a choice. Mm-hmm. So to him, the open seat was in the Republican Party. Because if it was opposite, he could have ran under the Democrat seat. Because because Trump could have gone either way, right? Uh, I think by by 2016, he could not have. He okay. had already established himself as what we call a birther, somebody who was going after Obama for not saying he wasn't born okay. in this country. And he did that right. for all eight years That's right. of Obama. That's right. Uh, at least right. for maybe as far back as eight. He'd done it for a he long time. He did it for time. a long time. That is time. correct. He, he was it. so against Obama yeah. and telling him to prove his certificate, he had chosen sides. Yeah. Right, right. He chose sides. So it would have been very hard for him to win a, a Democratic primary. Um, but to answer your question, do I think a third party could emerge? Possibly. Yeah. More likely what's hap- what we're seeing right now is that the parties are less often able to have a heavy influence on their own nominee as they had compared to, say, in the 1950s and 60s, oh. maybe even as recently as the 90s. Outsiders can win primaries easily than they had been in recent years. And that's right. because people have access to more information now. They don't have to just rely on what party leaders say is the right candidate. They can make choices for themselves. And most of them don't, actually, nowadays. Yeah. Do, you think, do you think most of them actually take the time to, to, to check things out online and in the Internet? 
Primary voters tend to be enthusiastic voters. I, I like to uh, liken people who vote in primaries, which is a much smaller percentage than people who vote in the general election. People who vote in primaries love politics. Right. It's like asking a sports fan who your favorite team is. Somebody who follows yeah, sports, I get and engaged, I, I, they know I get it. that, and they'll give yeah. you all the stats. They'll give you everything. Right, right, right. right. They'll That's break it down. So let's primary talk about, voters are all like, like sports fans. So let's talk about the primaries for a second. You are a super delegate. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's explain to listeners that don't really understand the primaries and the whole concept of super delegates and who you're voting for and how that works yeah. and how and how did. Clinton beat Bernie so single-handedly when we thought that Bernie had more of a chance and where's the scandal. But I mean, in like a nutshell, what are we voting for in the primaries and superdelegates? And and, you and, and hold on real quick, because I know that's a lot. Kai just spit a lot out at you. So he wanted your info. But before that, really quick, as a political analyst, with all the talk about Ivanka Trump and the, the German prime minister, you know, talking about stuff about Ivanka Trump, did you ever look at Ivanka Trump and say, I wouldn't kick her out of bed. <laughs> I'm just, did you? She's a good looking woman. She's a good looking woman. Yeah. She's a good looking woman. She holds herself well. And she has a lot of uh, ideas that align more with the Democratic Party than the Republican Party. So she's LGBT open? Um, I, you know, I don't, I mean, she's I a European she woman. She's, she's a, a European, European woman. liberal woman. Yeah. Yeah. She's. She's more of a Democrat than she is a Republican. I've heard rumors. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. She's liberal in the bedroom a little bit more. Yeah, you think so? <laughs> <laughs> but talk about the primaries and how the superdelegate works in, uh, in, a, in a quick summary. Because you were one. Yeah. Because you were one. Did you get a lot of tail because of that? Influence? <laughs> I'd like to know because, that. Did you get, I mean, did you, you get know. tail? Yeah. On the campaign, they call it trail tail. Because, yeah. I mean, the one thing cool about, the one thing cool about Washington yeah. – you know, let's say, let's compare Washington to California. Yeah. Somebody comes to California, they walk down Hollywood and they say, oh, shit, that's George Clooney. That's Brad Pitt. Yeah. But in Washington, they go, oh, my God, that's Senator from Wisconsin. He's or the one that did that. Or that's, I mean, they literally, the, the, let's, I mean, literally, the celebrities in Washington are the big political powerhouses. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Or the TV hosts and such. Right. Mm-hmm. So hey. super delegate, how was it? Uh, yeah. So each state gets a certain number of members that are elected to the DNC. So these are, not, honestly, this is not very interesting. Really? Is that? <laughs> no, it's yeah. really not. So the, the Democratic National Committee is composed. I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, no, no, that's honest. I can see, I can see the look on so your face. But it's so honest, though. I can see it's the look so, on your face. You're like, it. please don't make me do this. Yeah, I mean, um, would you say in a nutshell, I mean, without getting too deep, mm-hmm. again, the primaries, it's not like a popular vote. You're more or less voting for representatives. Well, you're voting for delegates. You're voting for delegates. In right? a presidential primary. Okay, yes. Yeah, so in you're a regular primary. You're voting. And I don't think the average voter understands that. Well, they, I think they do now after two national primaries where it's been a big deal. Right. Yeah, so like Obama and Clinton swing. was was a really close race. Uh, Clinton Let's and Bernie was a close race. Let's just say the Democrats haven't accepted that yet. No. <laughs> no. Republicans, well, do, the, yeah. Republicans well, do it too. But I'm saying the Republicans are saying, hey, listen, that that was your choice in the primaries, how Hillary won all the people that are upset about Bernie. That's all I'm saying. Okay, so I, I've got a question for yeah. you. I mean, seriously. I mean, it, being in the political world, mm-hmm. you've gone to Washington. Mm-hmm. You've been out there. You've had a power, a powerful position. Do women throw themselves at you? No. No. <laughs> really? No. I mean, trying to get ahead, nothing? No. I mean, it's... 
they, they call politics Hollywood for ugly people. Yeah. <laughs> I, I realize it, does, it doesn't say, say a whole lot about me. Right. But uh, um, Washington can be a very fun place. Yeah. I can and imagine. I think, I think Washington, D.C. gets a bad rap. People think about it as this gridlocked city. It's a concrete jungle. You know what? First of all, it's not a concrete jungle. It's a beautiful city. There's a lot of greenery. Oh, it's, it's, it's all, the architect is incredible. The architecture is incredible. The, There's the tons train of... train stations. I mean, Grand Central train station. Tons everything. of park space. Yeah. Uh, when I moved to D.C., I got there on a Sunday. By Thursday, I was on a soccer team. That soccer team became a really important part of my being in D.C., because yeah. not all my friends were political. I had friends who were musicians, who were artists. One guy who worked at NPR. You, and you kind of need that. You yeah, need I, that I, mentally. Yes, you, you need, need that it. to you get away it. from it. Otherwise, you go to a bar and like all your conversations are like, oh, uh, you hear about the Indiana Ninth District? And, and then like, you want to shoot yourself. Yes, exactly. And that's one of the reasons why it's kind of like that, too. Because you want to shoot yourself a lot of times when it just comes to talking about politics all the time. <laughs> I don't. I like it. No. Okay. Yeah, but but when it comes to like... But if that's all you're doing, then you, you will. Get, you got to yeah. bounce, right? You yeah, got to right. turn it off. So right. here's the thing. Like, I had a lot of friends who were Republican operatives and a lot of friends who worked in Republican offices, and we didn't necessarily agree on things philosophically but or policy But you're friends. But you, loved each, but you guys loved each other. You guys were, you guys were pals. <laughs> yes. Right. And, and there were days where, like, when they had bad days, I had good days. Yeah. When I had good days, when, when I had bad days, they had good days. You know, I mean, it was just kind of a yin and a yang to it. But, like, we'd throw parties, they would come over and... They would throw parties, and sometimes we'd go over. So, example of a bad day is like when Hillary lost. <laughs> yeah, it was a bad, That's a bad day. day. That was a really a bad, bad day. day. Okay. Bad, bad year, actually. Okay. Oh, hold yeah. on, hold on. Did yeah. you did, were you really surprised when Hillary lost? Oh yeah, absolutely. I've never seen anything like it. Oh wow. Yeah. 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 So here's the thing. I never when, when I when I saw Trump really pick up steam. This was September of 2015. Yeah. Um, I think it was right after the first debate. I was like, he's going to get the nomination. And and you knew it. You just you, you knew, knew it. that because of his business savvy marketing power. His <laughs> just the way uh, just the way he did the debate. Yeah, just the way he did it. Right. Intuition. He ran as the alpha male. Yeah. In okay. in a Republican primary, that is a very appealing trait to those voters. Yeah. And not only did he run as the alpha male, he alpha mailed every other person on that stage with yeah, him. Yeah, he did. He did. He steamrolled them all. Mm-hmm. He said, and so people are like, oh, I don't think he can win. I've never seen, you know, the, the institution is not going to allow it. The insiders aren't going to allow it. And what these people didn't recognize is that the institutions and the insiders don't have the power that they've had in the past. It's what we were talking about earlier. Right. Um, so there was that. And then we had noticed certain trends in the polling. Uh, he outperformed his post-primary performance outperformed his polls by two to three points every time. Wow. And when you looked at that trend, it was by March that I was like, this is a tidal wave they're not going to be able to stop. Um, Which all Democrats looked at as a gift horse. They're like, this is a guy that's going to be easy to beat. Yeah. Um, And really, up until until the the time he won, we thought he was going to be easy to beat. And You still thought it all the way until he won. Yeah. 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 I mean, look, he, he got fewer votes. Yeah, I mean, you want to talk about the electoral college? Like he he got three million fewer votes. She got more votes than any other person in history. Wow! And she's not president. How did you? What is your viewpoint on the electoral college and what happened? I don't like it. Yeah, I mean, it's a dinosaur. We don't need it. It's there because. So you you're on the side of getting rid of the electoral college? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, mean, I, I understand. Like, there are some philosophical arguments in favor of it. Um, George Bush was against it in two thousand. Right. Um. Wait, I took it back. No, George Bush was in favor of it. He lost the, the popular vote that right. year, too. Okay, right? okay. Yeah. Uh, so George Bush was uh, like the Electoral College in 2000. Democrats didn't like it. Uh, 
Republicans liked it again in 2016. Democrats still don't like it. Look, there's only one good thing about the Electoral College, and it's no reason to keep it. And the, the good thing about it is that a state like California that has 40 million people has that strength in the presidential election no matter how many people show up to vote. Right. Because the Electoral College represents that right. population. Right, strength, right. But what that then does is rewards people who don't show up to vote. Good point. And why, why are we giving them that cover? If you want to have your voice heard, you got to show up and have your voice heard. Yeah, it's to the point where no other country about, in the world does it. Yeah, I mean, originally the Electoral College was, let's say, fair representation to big states and small states, but mm-hmm. it seems like the biggest uh, positive to the Electoral College is basically lessening California and New York's effects, like the really huge behemoths. Yeah, I mean, it definitely gives uh, it gives an edge to the smaller states, right? So, yeah, no, I don't like it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And I don't, I don't think a lot of people do. So back to D.C., let's talk mm-hmm. about the important stuff. Yeah. How is the political partying in D.C.? <laughs> I mean, can we talk about that? Is yeah. it uh, yeah, the partying and is it is it crazy and the money and uh, how, how much you guys have fun is, you know, the stuff that you see on the Wolf of Wall Street-esque? Yeah. <laughs> so there's no people like dropping suitcases of money at your, your door. Really. And if there is, I missed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was seven years and missed it. but And I had a pretty good time, but... The lobbyists do do have more money, but they're a little bit more strategic about how they spend it. There was a time where that stuff was free flowing. Yep, uh, mm-hmm. that was right before I got there. Yeah, you you, they, missed the you missed the bus. I missed the you bus. missed the bus. They, they clamped down on that stuff in yep. the mid two thousands. Uh, for the most part, it is underpaid and overworked staffers. Wow, trying to figure out a way to make their way. Um, there are some fine establishments, and every once in a while. But hang on a second, is that the Democrat side and the Republicans are partying better? No, well, I mean, at, at the staffer levels, they all get all the same. They all get crap, right? I mean, you live in one of the most ex- DC is one of the most expensive rental markets in America, and salaries on Capitol Hill are based on national averages. So you'll have a staff assistant making like thirty thousand dollars and having to pay like fifteen hundred dollars a month rent or something like that. I mean, oh. the, the math just doesn't add up. How, oh. how is that for oh. someone like you choosing that as a career? I mean, that's that's a tough career. Well, I wasn't a staffer on Capitol Hill. So yeah. that that was one way around it. Right. <laughs> but yeah. but uh, for me, you know, I, I worked in California and I the way I chose the races I worked on early on was I chose bigger races with bigger budgets because it made more economic sense for me. So I didn't work on that many school board races. I actually never worked on a school board race. Right. But I worked on a lot of congressional races and, and races for governor and races that were statewide because they had the bigger budgets to be able to do that. Have you ever thought about like eventually running for like governor or mayor or I used to think I used to I used to have those types of ambitions, but the more I started to do media, the more I felt like that was really a good place for me. I feel like my five minutes of T V could help fix some of the talking heads that are on there. Sure. And that if that was was my strength, that I should play to it because I felt like there was a need for it. Right. A lot of good people can run for office. We don't have a lot of good people who can package an idea neatly and deliver it to millions of people in a short amount of time. Too many people, they look at politics like, like it's a stock market. Yeah. They don't know where to start. They don't know where to begin. They don't know who to believe. Right. And if I can take an idea and just pare it down to the basics and say, this is what we're, this is what we're fighting for. And this right. is why it's important. And people can understand it. And I feel like that's my public service. And, right. And so you're it, able to actually open the eyes of somebody. That's right. So that, yeah. that's why when I went into public relations and I started to kind of fine tune my communication skills and went back into campaigns and eventually moved to DC and started doing TV and radio and, and print that, uh, 
that became more of my calling. Okay. And as I traveled around the country working on different campaigns, that was more of So you're open to all the networks. You work with everybody then. Mm-hmm. I mean, anybody who calls you for your point of view on, on what's going on. Yeah. And, and what was your start there? Being that we're recording near the heart of Hollywood, how yeah. did you become a TV guy? So uh, going back to earlier when we touched on the, the superdelegate thing, uh, once upon a time, I was the president of the California Young Democrats. Oh, okay. And when in that role, I got calls from media every once in a while. But the first, the, the, real, the real tipping point in all of that was in 19, uh, sorry, in 2000, the, pre, uh, the Republicans were having a national convention in Philadelphia. And that convention would end at like midnight Eastern time. Yeah. And at nine o'clock Pacific time, CNN needed somebody to go on the air at midnight to provide the Democratic response. Well, there was nobody on the East Coast that really wanted to go on the air at midnight. Yeah. So they said, well, who can we find on the West Coast that can do it? And I, I don't remember who it was that connected me with CNN. It might have been somebody with the state party or at the county level here in L.A., but someone said, well, there's this kid, Ed Espinoza, who is media trained and has done some local TV. Uh, maybe he can help you out. So CNN gave me a call. And my first appearance on CNN was in July or August of 2000. And uh, it went well. We did a couple more. And then we've been, we did them on and off for eight years until the superdelegate race in the Clinton and Obama primary in 2008. And then I became a regular. And right. then the relationship has been fairly regular since then. And so you- for you listeners... Ed is on CNN very regularly. Look mm-hmm. for his name. He's always uh, posting on Facebook the different tie that he's wearing. He's like, I'm wearing <laughs> a, the, the fancy blue tie today, but uh, he is a regular on on CNN. Yeah, you said so. In one, the, of the, one of the talking heads debating a point against right, right. So how, I mean, how is it being a political analyst that's regularly used on fake news? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, you just gotta throw a bunch of things in the air and it see what sticks. Sticks with sticks, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just. I mean, what are you gonna do? <laughs> I mean, I mean, what's? I mean, how how are you guys handling all that with this with this crap with everybody talking about it being fake news? I mean, I was actually impressed at one point that Fox came to the defense of CNN, but for a very short period of time. Mm. That was it, just a short period, and that's because and CNN came to-, <laughs> came to the defense of Fox. Do you know who Ed's biggest debater is when oh. it comes to fake news? Did you say masturbator? <laughs> well, a master debater against uh, Ed. Yeah. It's debating his conservative Fox loving mother. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 Actually, we don't even debate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> say, Mom, just, there's, there's nothing that's going to, I'm going to say that's going to change your mind. It's just going to make you upset. Right. Tell me what you had for lunch. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, in all honesty, that, that must have just, I mean, just drove like a nail into you guys when, when Trump was saying you guys were fake news and, or, or that CNN was fake news. Well, but at the point that he was saying it, though, it was so comical because he said it about anything he didn't agree with. He was right. saying it about publications that he was promoting two and three right, weeks exactly, earlier. Exactly. And it was so transparent that any objective viewer who saw it thought, okay, well, this is a little ridiculous. Right. And it's even got to the point now where you see little kids walking around saying to each other, ah, fake news, fake news. I'll turn to facts. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah, it was tough to see that one of the things that was really tough down the stretch in the 2016 election is that there were a lot of things out there that people didn't know the difference between real news and fake news and they were forwarding things and they were posting things. Sure. And, I think that people have become a little bit more in tune with looking at what is the source of what they're sharing because of all those things. Unfortunately, we had to go through all that. Yeah, it was tough. Um, I uh, I do CNN a couple times a month now. It used to be a couple times a week during the election. Now, now it's about twice a month. Right. And in Austin, I actually 
uh, I'm on the air three days a week with the local Fox affiliate. And then once a week uh, with the local ABC affiliate. How is it going with Fox? Because they're obviously using you as the Democratic At the local level, not so much. It's almost like here in L.A., you have Fox 11, right? Right. Which used to be, when we were growing up, was KTTV. Sure. They're not as bad as the national Fox News because they have something called news directors. So the national level, they've got a news director, which is kind of like their producer for the news. Gotcha. And they have a certain agenda at the national level. Well, that person does not run the affiliates. And in fact... um, in certain, I don't know if this is the case with Fox, but I know with a lot of the other networks, like in Texas, for example, yeah. I know it's the case here in California as well, you might have somebody who owns an ABC affiliate and someone else who owns a CBS affiliate in the same state. They can't be in the same market, but they can be in the same state. So with the local Fox affiliates, it's a little different. But uh, if somebody calls and it's a compelling story and it's something I know a thing or two about, I will take the call and I will do the interview. Gotcha. If it's something I don't know anything about, I won't do it. Yeah. And there's not enough people on, uh, not enough of these talking heads turn things down. More people need to turn down interview requests. If somebody asks you to go on the air and talk about North Korea and you don't know anything about North Korea, then don't do, do it. not don't go on the air. <laughs> right. It's not vanity. If you right. want to make the world a better place, you got to know something about what you're talking about. So if somebody calls me and they say, hey, we want to really want to talk to you about this IED that went off in Syria, I'm like, I'm not your guy. Yeah. But if they want to talk to me about some other issues, then uh, you know it's something I know about. I'm happy to do it. How like, well do like you... midgets and ball gags. Midgets <laughs> and ball gags are my jam. <laughs> we will talk about that all day. <laughs> exactly. So how well do you know the other guys that you debate with? I mean, some of them you you know you always go head to head against them. I mean, is it like sports where Stephen A. Smith knows Colin Cowherd <laughs> and they're just like ranting against each other? And, yeah, the, the local and guy. And sometimes like you're done, you're like, hey, I got you this time. You get me next time. Is yes. One of yeah. Yes. And matter of fact, especially at the local level, because you're yeah. in the same studio with the guy and a matter of fact the guy i'm paired with in texas most of the time i know really well i i've donated to his charitable causes yeah. not his political ones right <laughs> and he's right. you know he's come to my birthday parties and stuff so we know each other pretty well we'll call each other every once in a while if we see something in the news uh we help write the stories yeah um nationally it's i don't know them as well because i'm not always in the same room with them if i fly to dc or if i'm in new york or if i'm on, on the set of one of the presidential debates and i get to know these guys a little well that's that's one thing but that's not as often but the funny thing is i know the republicans on the air better than the democrats mm. because i'm on the air with the republicans right oh, that's right i'm not right. on the air with the democrats that's right so I, I, I see my friends and i know what they're doing and i, I see the ones who have really come a long way and that's yeah, great. You're not debating, but I'm rarely you're, you're on the representing air with the Democrats, right? So it's, it's. Are you considered a formidable debating opponent, uh, knowing that when you're going to go on, you're somewhat of an expert? It's not. It's a good question. It's <laughs> probably a better question for the people that I'm them. on against. Yeah. Yeah. Like, do they say, "Oh, we got Ed on this time. Like, he's going to be a good one, right? He, he knows his stuff. Maybe not against uh, IUDs. Is that what it's called? IUDs. IUDs. Yeah. Improvised. IUDs. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. But yeah, that's that's uh, every hour of sorry, every five minutes of on air time is about an hour's worth of prep. Wow. So if somebody gives you a subject and you mm-hmm. know the subject, not only are you reading news clips to find out what's in the news, but you're also thinking about and talking about what you want to say, writing it out, coming up with a good sound bite, because not only do you want to be able to express your point of view, you want to do it concisely in a way that your audience is going to understand. And that take if you're really committed to delivering that message to the audience and you really want them to feel like they're getting the most out of it, you've got to sit there and commit yourself to it, to packaging that idea in a way that's easy for them to understand. People. So has it helped you get more dates and meet people? 
It's definitely helped me meet people. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the job is basically the job in politics is meeting people. So I've worked on 51 campaigns in, wow. fi- in 15 states. The scars to prove it. Oh, geez, I bet. And when you do that, you have 40 new coworkers every six months because you're going on a new campaign somewhere else. Right. And for a long time, I did a lot of campaigns in California. I li- Even when I lived in D.C., I parachuted into other places. I've been to uh, Nevada, spent a lot of time in Nevada. I was yep. there for a couple of years. Arizona, North Carolina, Florida, You know, when you talk South about Dakota. it, it doesn't sound like you have a really stable life. You know, you, the, it's almost like being an assistant coach on a pro sports team. Right. You're, you're moving around all the you time. You got to go to where the work is. It's not yeah. going to come to you. Right. Yeah. Although you've been pretty stable lately. You work for Progress Texas, which mm-hmm. is basically the progressive, uh, you're promoting progressive politics in Texas. Right. We're the liberal newsroom in Texas. Yeah. Yeah. That's got to be, that's got to be like being an actor in Los Angeles. Every day you wake up with some rejection yeah. <laughs> from, the, yeah, it's, <laughs> from it, the state. It builds character. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and- yeah, and, and, and I think that uh, early on, I started off in California, and I was here for six years, and I worked on a lot of races here. But California is a you know it's a blue state, so there was a lot. Of, the, the political economy for Democrats was very good. Right in mm-hmm. DC, DC is an industry town, so it's like an actor going to Hollywood. Yeah, uh, a, a political operative goes sell to yourself. DC, yeah. and there's lots of opportunities there. And then after a while, you go out into the states. Uh, I ended up in Texas because it just. Right opportunity, right time. And Austin I had some is a great there. city. Austin is an amazing. I lived city. in Austin. Right. It's great. the California of Texas. Yeah. Um, the food is great. Uh, the music is outstanding. I encourage everyone else, everyone to come out and visit. Just don't move there. Yeah. Everyone else is moving there. <laughs> Actually, you, you, you got do, enough people living there right uh, now. If you're a Democrat, yeah. come move on out. We yeah. could use the votes in Texas. Right. But <laughs> otherwise, uh, Austin is a great place. I really love it. I've been there now, like I said, for six years. Um, I don't know if I'm there forever, but I'm there for now. I do miss California. I don't miss the traffic so much. No. But the traffic's bad everywhere right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we don't have as many sharks in Texas. So yeah. there's, there's So that the too. future of Ed is where? Continuing politics and campaigning again? More of what? It's uh, a good question. Yeah. Yeah. Pimp. Imp? Pimp. Oh, pimp. Maybe a pimp. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. You never know. Yeah. I mean, it's. I mean, when you look at a lot of, <laughs> a lot of people that do what you do. Yeah. I mean, what is everybody's long-term picture and retirement plan. I mean, for somebody who does professional politics, yeah. I mean, how, how do you think about that? It is a high burnout profession. Yeah. And the number of people who were doing this when I started versus how many are doing it now, uh, I mean, maybe two dozen well, it, that because, I know. I mean, when you first get into it, it's like a life mission. It's not so much that you're thinking about right. your your future. You're, right. you're doing it because of a passion. Right. Right. And a lot of people... What so happens, it's almost, in, in, like Kai said, it's almost like acting. You're doing it because it's a passion. It's calling mm-hmm. to you, and you want right. to do it. You're and like, then after a while, you're and you really haven't thought in. that far. Yeah, right? yeah. I don't you think have, you do. You haven't thought past a certain point with right. a lot of people in your career. A lot no, of people well, are kind of I, going, I think sometimes you are. If you get into it, you're like, oh, I want to run for office, or okay. oh, I want to run campaigns, or oh, I want to do TV. You know, you should, sometimes you have a, a general idea of what you want to do, but it is a high burnout industry, and I think a lot of people get in early on for the idealism, like they do in a lot of industries. That's not unique to politics, okay. right? So you get in for the idealism, and then after a while, the economics start to set in. And right. It's almost like just like you were saying with acting, and then you think to yourself, well. Am I going to keep doing this? And if so, am I going to take on roles I don't want, like right. an actor would do? Or am I going to take on campaigns that I don't believe in, but I'll do it for the money? I'm fortunate that I have never had to, had to do that. Right. Have you um, ever been faced with career animosity? Like, for instance, 
my uncle Fuji.、Mm-hmm. Okay, so Fuji was Mr. Fuji from WWF, the the wrestler manager of the Demolition and all them. So、nice. uncle, uncle Fuji back in Wait, Hawaii was he the one with the top hat? Yeah, he was the top hat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> would, uncle Fuji, Uncle Fuji would go, I hate Americans,、uh. and he'd be like that, and Demolition would be like, raw, and they'd be like, and he he talk about the shit. And Fuji was Uncle Fuji was you know he was. Arrested before that, but、yeah. literally, I mean, before WWF came out and said, "Hey, you know, we are an act, but、mm-hmm. it's a lot of physical pref- performing and everything."、Mm-hmm. People used to come up and think Fuji was an asshole. Yeah,、like、he was the sweetest guy in the world. But there would be times where people would be like, "You're a fucking asshole."、Yep. You know, you you hate America, this and that. But it's just an act. So, being a political analyst, yeah, has anybody ever come up to you and just said, "You're a political analyst"? Fuck you. You know, I I haven't gotten that as much. I did so my brother got it as much as much. I'll, I'll tell you, this. it's there, but not as much. Only for family way, members. Right. I have a pretty good story here. So my、yeah. brother,、uh, my oldest brother, is a successful businessman, and we're from Long Beach. Yeah. And I grew up between Long Beach and L.A. and Santa Monica. My mom lived up here. My dad lived down there. West Side boy. That's right. And、yeah. then.、Um, My brother has done well for himself down there. He owns a cigar shop down there, and amongst other businesses, he also has a cigar shop. So I go into a cigar shop about a year ago, and one of his、uh, regulars is hanging out there, and he looks at me. He says, "You know, I recognize you. What's your name?" So I introduce myself, and he's like, "Oh, you're Albert's brother." He says, "I recognize you from TV." Yeah, and then he says, "You know, I'm a Republican. I don't agree with a thing you have to say." He sticks his hand out. He sticks his hand out, and he says, "I want to shake your hand and just thank you for not being an asshole." Oh,、yeah. and I、yeah. was like, you know what? In my business, I'll take it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I can see that. <laughs> so that, that's about as close as I've gotten. I hate, hate, hate the word pundit. Okay, because I think that pundit is somebody who goes on the air and just pontificates their thoughts. What I always try to do is go on the air and think of myself as an analyst, like almost like somebody would with ESPN, right? Based on my Stats, experience, right? What I've seen before, what I think will happen, and this is why I think it will happen, and really try and take take the audience along a journey. You, you're being unfa- logical, yeah. Right, well, right. Well, just because like going back to what I was saying about people don't don't know a lot about politics, they don't know who to trust, they don't know where to start, right? And just try to be able to bring them along this journey and say, look, I know you may not agree with me, but I'm going to tell you why I'm going down this path. And what I think, and you can decide for yourself. Right, and that's really how I try to approach it. And it goes back to saying, if my five minutes of of on air time that day can fix TV, then I feel like I'm doing a public service. Now I've got a feeling that regardless of that, it's about politics and it's about facts and it's about your viewpoint. You got to be a good storyteller. Yep, you, absolutely. Mean, ultimately, you've got to be a great storyteller Data, because you've got to be. A good salesperson. Yeah, and, and data and and facts and、yeah. figures don't mean anything if there's not a good message. Right, exactly. There's got to be a message. message. There's got to be、right. a, the punch. The punch has got to be there. The catch. Yep. Right. Yep. No, I got. I get it. And that, and that message means a lot. And I think that people are looking for that. They don't want to just know. Like, I'll give you an example. So one of the things we used to talk about、uh, in Texas was that in 2010 or 11 there was like five billion dollars in school cuts. And a lot of people are going around the state saying they cut five billion from education. Right. But voters, a lot of voters, didn't know what that meant. So what we started saying was larger class sizes and smaller teachers,、uh, smaller salaries for good teachers. And people understand. Okay, I understand how that affects me. You put it in that frame where people understand what what are the specifics, what is the storyline of what this means, and then they responded more positively、right. to it. And th- those those storylines are important. Gotcha.、Um, so whether it's doing it for CNN or doing it for Fox or doing it for ABC or anybody else in between, I think that it's 
it's I'm not a journalist, right? But I work with a lot of journalists who are committed to telling a good story, and I, I learn from them. Yeah, and I work with a lot of people in politics who really care about their issues. And to try and be able to take the emotion about what they care about and tell it in a story where the audience understands it. And I feel like that, that, that's an important, uh, catalyst in the process. That's politics though, telling your story and getting people to relate to you. Right. 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 I mean, in a nutshell, isn't that just life? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, ultimately. I think we get caught up in facts and figures too much, but yeah, yeah, it's life. Ultimately, kind of talked about this while we're working out or doing Muay Thai. I mean, isn't everything in life a sell? Everything in life is a sell. Everything's a hustle. Everything is. Yeah. Everything. You, you want to grow to sleep with you. Guess what? You got to sell yourself. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, you want, you want somebody to vote your way. You got to sell yourself. You, you want know, there's, anything. There's yeah, something Kai said to me a couple years ago. We were talking about career stuff. I don't know if you remember this. We were talking about career stuff and like, where's, where are we going? What are we going to do? Right. And Kai said, you know, there's no cruise control. Everybody works. That's a great, that's a great way of putting it. Everybody yeah. works. And he's like, you know, I don't care how rich you are, how well you've done. You want to keep going, you got to keep working. And one of the things I always say in my office is don't get comfortable. Yeah. If you get comfortable, you'll get stagnant and things won't move and people will get bored and you'll get dull and your senses Everything will get dull. Everything is it, it, It's actually funny because I think I was just mentioned it to Kai a couple of weeks ago. The one thing I can't stand is, um, you know, not to get too personal, but mm-hmm. I can't stand it in my business and any business when people, I'm giving them too much business mm-hmm. and they just get too fat. And mm-hmm. they and they're not hungry. You mm-hmm. got to stay hungry all the time. Yeah, you got to. I mean, it's it's just it's part of life. Yeah, get you got to have something that keeps you going. Yeah, but I, I did remember something back. You asked me if anybody ever came up to me and said something about me being an rude asshole because you're like political, right right, right? right. So about a year ago, someone did throw a hamburger at my car. Get <laughs> out of here! Get out of here! Um, that's commitment. Yeah, yeah. You gave up your lunch or dinner for me. At me, yeah. yeah. At you, right, right, right. So that was that, there was that. Was it in oh, Texas? Was it? Yeah, it was oh. good. It was a P. Terry's burger too. Which if oh, you ever been to Austin? That's a good burger. Yes. <laughs> so he. So, so <laughs> let me ask you this: Is it because he recognized you? Was that was it a random rec- recognizing, or, or did you have an exchange? No, there was no exchange. I just figured. Oh, so he knew you. I took it as a positive. More people are seeing me on TV. How often do people recognize? <laughs> that's you? That's awesome. Um, I don't. It's a good question. Um. So I have found that I have a familiar face. Okay. And a lot of, and and I have a name that I think people think is familiar. I think Edward is a familiar first name, Espinosa in certain parts of the country is a familiar last name. You put yeah. them together, they think me, they they know me. Yeah. And then they're like, "I I know I've seen you here before." I'm like, "Nope, this is my first time to Tucson." Yeah. Right. I've never been here. Yeah. You know, or something like that. Um so I think that I get it in certain circles uh every once in a while, but uh, it, it just depends. So, by the way, I clearly remember, I don't know, maybe it was 10 years ago when Ed and I were driving and somebody cut us off or flipped us off and Eddie threw his Coke at the car. Oh, God. <laughs> so that was probably some karma coming back because yes, you somebody throwing a hamburger at you. <laughs> by the way, it was a paper cup Coke. It was not a hard Coke it was or a paper glass cup bottle. Coke. Right. It, 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 it was, was totally his, biodegradable. It was in his hand. And this and was, was not a couple thing. years ago. This was like 20 years ago. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, that's a big difference. Yes, that is a big difference. A big di- well, this is a different political <laughs> professional way. Right. I said 10. Um, and it was LA traffic and yeah. yeah. Wow. Thanks for bringing that up. But I can tell you, I think what Ed's endgame is. I've known him for now 30 years. World domination. Uh, he's going to end up surfing someplace. Yeah. <laughs> someplace <laughs> surfing. That's going to be his. So 
Uh, wrapping up our show. Thank you so much, Ed, for yep. visiting and being a part of this. And Ed, it was great to meet you. Political yeah, you Anist, awesome. the famous political analyst. Yeah. Uh, what are some last words? Where is the world going? Where are you going? Where is Trump going? Uh, after this, I'm going to keep going on vacation. I'm on. I'm still, on, I'm, I'm doing this podcast while I'm on vacation right nice. now. And um, as to where Trump is going, ooh man, it's. Uh, we are living in interesting times right okay, now. Okay, really quick, before, really quick yeah. before we close, yeah. Democrats taking the House back in two years. Do you think Trump will stay after that? Um, well, I don't know to either. Two years, in, well, it's actually more like a, a, a little more than a year at this point. Okay. But yeah. like a little more than a year in politics is an eternity. Right. Okay, good point. And uh, it, it's hard to say all indicators, all reliable indicators that we have look to be overwhelmingly in favor of Democrats. Yeah. Um, but a lot can change. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think Democrats were very popular right before September 11th. I think Republicans were very popular right before 2006. Right. Uh, 2006. Uh, right before 2008, even. It might have been. Um, so things are cyclical. And uh, American politics has become very nationalized, like it is in Europe. There's a, the pendulum swings a lot. And uh, there's a lot of wave elections now. Okay. We live in an era of wave elections, which is a very European thing. You didn't see that all the time. You used to see people vote for Republicans at the top of the ticket and Democrats at the bottom of the ticket and vice versa. You don't see that so much anymore. People put on different hats. Yeah. They say one year they, they like Democrats and they vote for all of them, and the next year they like Republicans. They so, vote for so all in them. a nutshell, you don't know. If, don't if, don't if, know. Yeah. No, I could I could pretend to be one of those analysts that tells you that I think I know all the answers, yeah. but uh, no, it's, it's honest. In this in this case, I think that a year is an eternity, and it's it's been a wild ride. And every single day, when I think it can't get any wilder, it gets crazy. It absolutely. It gets crazy. Does. So if there's anything yeah. I can, any parting words I can give you is that it's going to continue to be a wild ride. Um, just don't tune it out. Yeah. Lots of people are tuning be, it out right be now. Be present. Be present. Stay yeah. on top of and it. And get ready to fight when you have to fight. Or just to stand up for what you believe in. Right. No, don't be afraid to speak your mind. You know, yeah. I think a lot of people just think they don't want to get in the middle of it. But, you know, you can say your piece and just get out. Find the exits and make your post on Facebook and then get out. Ed, great advice. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> great advice. Thanks for this show. The CNN analyst Ed Espinosa. Look for him as Woo! one of the talking heads. <laughs> Thank you, Ed. I'm Kai McBride with my co-host, Scott Yanahiro. Hello. This is Getting Yoked. <laughs> Night, everybody. Thanks. <laughs>